Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To study the interior design of an Earth-orbiting, zero-gravity, Earth-orbiting space station. That is actually the technical name of his thesis. Welcome back to the Coaching Call Podcast. On today's show, I speak with Carolyn Bolt. Carolyn is passionate about holistic health and wellness. She's also an outspoken advocate that the environment of your space impacts your success. Good morning, good morning. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I am great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So we are definitely going to talk about space, design, your atmosphere, how it makes you feel all these things that bring joy to your life, or sometimes if it's not right, you wonder why you're not happy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, very much so. Right. But, you know, I'd love to know what inspired you to even get into design. Let's go back to your childhood, if you don't mind. And, And that is one of the things I do in my podcast is to find out about the person. When did you realize that design was a big concept for you? I mean, was it when you were playing with dolls? Was it when you were went into a place? Maybe you went into a library and you're like, wow, this building's amazing, or you went into somebody's home. It's those moments in time that really shape us, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I have a couple of things, but one in particular, well, I always loved art. So I'm an mm. architectural interior designer, right. and I always loved art. And, and yes, you said that about playing with dolls. My playing with my Barbie dolls was more setting up their house than it was playing with dolls. (laughs) And that's funny because that's one of the interview questions I have with uh, specifically interns and people Mm. that are considering going into design. That's one of the things I ask them about. What did they do when they played with their dolls? I think the real catalyst for me was I lived in Houston, Texas, and my father was an engineer at NASA. This was in the 60s, in the very beginning, and he was on advanced preliminary design. So in the early 60s, he was designing the Earth orbiting space station about 20 years before it actually became reality. And as part of the program at NASA, they pulled in a architect that was going for his master's and it became his thesis to study the interior design of an Earth-orbiting, zero-gravity, Earth-orbiting space station. That is actually the technical name of his thesis. So his name was Roger, and he was young, and he kind of had long hair. You know, this was the 60s, played guitar, et cetera, and came. So my dad, so he was from he was from Florida, and my dad really worked with him all the time. So he invited him over for dinner often to our house while he was here and had a family atmosphere. And we, my dad and him would sit in the living room. I was 14 years old and they would sit in the living room and they would philosophize about this zero gravity earth orbiting space station. And I would hear specifically Richard talking about how this, the big challenge that they were dealing with was how are they going to send men up to this place that was relatively small and not have them go crazy because they understood that that space was going to affect their psychology. So they spent a lot of time talking about how they could make some spaces smaller and some places bigger and how they get cleaner areas versus big. It was just fascinating. I don't remember every detail at all. But what I do remember was, wow, the design of the space is going to impact you personally, Uh, positively or negatively. And that was this place of going, wow, 
I can help intentionally help people with their with their who they want to be, how they want to show up, what they want to provide, et cetera. And at the time, I didn't really understand what commercial design was. Mm. I just knew I just I just decided I wanted to be an interior designer. And I went on to the University of Texas and studied interior design there. And I graduated and very quickly. I fell in love with the interior architecture part where you could literally not just most people think of interior designers as the decorator mode where you're picking paints and colors. Interior architectural design is the three-dimensional space that you're dealing with. And I fell in love with that. And then when I got out of school, I just quickly got into the commercial side of design because it was not just about a person's, I'm, I'm, I love residential design, don't hear me wrong, but it wasn't about a person's ego. Mm. It was about a person's return on investment. Right. So commercial design is very focused on that return on investment, the, the space and the environment that's created. And that's what I've been doing ever since. That was a long time ago. <laughs> love it. Love it. We, we have something in common because I was in that industry myself. Yes. And I worked for some of the top leading design companies in New York. Yes, she told me. Yeah, yeah. And, and w- one of the things that was always fascinating, right, is looking at all the different designs that people came up with, right? And no one was ever wrong except for the person who wanted it, right? The person who we were designing for, they made that final decision. If you can bring them like five, six to seven different sketches and they were like, nope, doesn't fit me, doesn't fit me. And then, of course, that interview process is so important to find out what it is that they like, right? What is it that that makes them happy? What is it that makes them warm and fuzzy? Or even that kitchen, what does that have to look like? Even the bathroom. These are such important decisions that people are going to live with. A designer may say, hey, this is what I like, but it's not about them, right? It's not about you. It's it's very different that because you're you are serving your client. That is your, mm-hmm. that is your boss. You know, that is who, um, there are, there are designers that design and then people start to follow them because they have a type of design. Correct. Um, but if you really study them, they really started because they found people that were like them and they were designing what they liked and that kind of continued. But, um, commercial design is totally different in that it's about, really about the real estate the space and it's about we we call it, we use the terms of um or the now we use the theories of retail design and hospitality design mm-hmm. when we do commercial right. and retail is purchasing is creating a place that people want to buy and that congruency in that space between the product that you're selling and the environment that they walk into mm-hmm. because if that's not congruent you start to lose sales It's been documented. So, and then in this, the sense of hospitality design. So, hospitality being like think of restaurants and things of that sort. You're creating a place that people really go to to be in an environment of culture. So, think about, hey, where do you want to go tonight for dinner, honey? Oh, you know, I want to go someplace soft and romantic. And that environment is what's causing you to want to go someplace soft. that would be soft and romantic. I want to be someplace interesting and creative, you know, whatever that kind of thing you're wanting to go to, hospitality design is working toward creating that environment to support that expression. So that's how that's how it that's how commercial kind of changes. Yeah. I have to say you you just spoke from a woman's perspective because most men never say, I want to go somewhere so <laughs> And romantic. They just want to go, what's the food like, right? What's the food like? But, but you know, as a designer myself, and w- when we think about the atmosphere, it creates the mood. And so when you talk romantic, it's going to be the lighting, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the, the comfort of the chairs. It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be like, you know, cold and steel. It's going to be that the lighting, which really, really does set the mood. It's not just candles. Right. A lot of people like, oh, it's romantic. You need candles. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the lighting, the mood lighting. Right. So it's all these different things that, that have to go into play in order to create that atmosphere. Thinking about all the different concepts, all the different ideas that you've had throughout your, your career, you know, and when you were talking about your dad 
and how he was talking about the space and design and the feeling and all these different things, where can it be cleaner, spacier, reminded me of a place I used to work at called the Space Design Group. Okay. And, and it was two guys, right, designers, and they were so well-known and, and they were one of the top 10 in the, in the country, right? And if you asked them how much the project was going to cost, they would just gladly shake your hand and walk away. They wouldn't deal with it, right? And so one of the designers, Frank, sometimes as, as I, I was an architectural draftsman at that, at that, in that venture, I would have to draw these crazy things. He would build the wall. 14 layers of sheetrock. And I'm like, why do we have to put 14 layers of sheetrock? Because that's what he called for. Couldn't we just do a little portion of, you know, the ending and then just have a wall and hollow it? No, he needed 14 layers of sheetrock. And his design was so well known that he was very, I guess, out there, if you will, right? And so that sometimes when a client would come in and they want this specific lighting, they're like, oh, no, you don't. We're going to design it for you. So when it came to interior design, it's not just putting or selecting fabrics and putting this chair there and that there. Sometimes it's designing everything from the bed to you do utensils to the layout, obviously, but even the furniture, right? And all these things come into account. And a lot of people think, oh, it's just so easy to be a designer. Meanwhile, there's so much that goes into it. Would you mind sharing a little bit of we understand where you, you were 14 years old with your dad and you're listening to his conversations. Where did you say, that's who I'm going to be? That's the impact I'm truly going to make. I know you had a little bit of influence there, but when was that moment that you said, this is me, this is who I am? Well, when I was 14 and I decided that this is what I wanted to do, hmm. there was a kind of a series of, you know, how they say it's your reticular activating mechanism, right? It's a series of things that came about where I was just exposed to more and more opportunities to see what design was from my parents deciding to remodel their living room and they didn't technically hire a designer. They went to a furniture store and that furniture store salesperson was a designer and, mm. you know, did all of that. This was once again, probably the seventies and stuff. Right. right. And so that designer was making commission, but she she was a designer. And then I remember another time I, I did this twice. Once was our homing and our our um, bedding and all that stuff. And another one was our living room. The living room one was his name was Mr. Polly. His name was Mr. Polly. And I remember my mom just anything Mr. Polly said we were going to do. Wow. I mean, he just gained so much. He created so much respect mm. with my mom and my dad. Nice. And, I, and he and I didn't hear every bit of the conversations, but I know that he was designing for them and he was helping them get past a place where they were stuck in, you know, the things that they were used to seeing in their in the home. So that was a, an evidence you know, that was a place of evidence. And then when I went to school and started studying design at the University of Texas, another impact was my father had the idea, and this was in the 70s, my father was like, why do you want to be an interior designer? You know, in his mind, that was fabric, finishes, right, right. Of that sort. and why am I paying for you to go to school to do that? You know, it's just the whole thing. And he really, really he said, why don't you look into architecture? Why don't you look into architecture? And I did. I looked into architecture. But what I realized was that interior design was very much about the human being mm. inside a space, very much about the emotions, very right. much about all of that, where architecture wasn't at all. It was much more about the outside and the visual mm. and, the, and whether it can whether it can stand up or not and things of that sort. So there was that shift where I was going to classes in both both uh, schools and said, no, I want to I want to be about people. I think that there was another part of me that if I had not been a designer, I would have gone into psychology. Mm. I love getting into people's heads and what was <laughs> going on for them. But I'm really glad I didn't because I think I would be a little crazy right now. But um, I have so much respect for people that do that. But mm. that would be a, that would be the other shift. And then. Yeah. And like I said, the commercial side was where I began to see, to be real honest with you, 
I did try residential and I just didn't like being, I felt like I was always a marriage counselor. So I <laughs> that, that didn't last very long at all. Um, but I love the commercial. I love the concept of, of um, a business need. Mm. So the, the business goal. So you're helping meet a business goal. And part of the business goal is, you know, how their space works and how they show up as an image right. for either their clients or their, or their um, employees. It's very important for the employees also. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I worked on some huge projects in New York and, you know, Siemens. I worked oh, yeah. at City Corps. I worked at yeah. like 10 buildings. I, I mean, 10, 10, 10 stories we had, even though they, when they did build City Corps, it was like the whole building. But we, we had our group, we had 10, 10 stories that we were in charge of. Wow. Uh, with Siemens, we we built their corporate headquarters, so every everything you know, from the lighting to everything else. So it was it was really challenging, and but so much fun. And the the fact, even the cafeterias, you know, everything, every little aspect, elevators. You know, a lot of people go, "Oh, it's an elevator." You get Otis Company, right? No, we designed the elevators, the interior of the elevators. So it, it goes into every little. Nook and cranny, if you will, right? And there's a lot of decisions, absolutely, and a lot of moving parts. We we have estimated, um, so you know, we we work in the holistic healthcare environment right now, and we've estimated with your typical office, let's just say it's two or three thousand square feet. There are three to six thousand decisions that need to be made, mm-hmm. just in the design of that office, getting it all the way through to construction. So. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there, there's so many, so many layers. It's layers, right? You you know what I'm talking about. Everything kind of impacts each other. But you know, one of the things that AutoCAD started doing for architects, right? Mm-hmm. Where you you can just do one drawing and then lay it on top of the other. Because in the past, you used to have to draw on mylar. Because I know I used to draw on mylar. I did and, too. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right, but that, that was such a and you had the little pegs at the top where you had to layer the, you created layers at the mylar with the peg. Yes. Right, right. Yep. I, yes. I have a, 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 um, the 59th Street Bridge that I did on a mylar in pencil. And it's, I got it framed in my, in my living room. Oh my gosh. And people come in and go like, is that a real drawing? Yeah. Yeah. Who did that? I'm like, what does it say? They look at it. That's your name. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. So w- when it comes to, you know, like working on Mylar and then AutoCAD came in and, and so things became easier and faster. And of course, mistakes can easily be made in both spectrums, right? Absolutely. I think one of the, the, the greatest gifts that we have now, I think, is SketchUp, right? And, and then all these other virtual reality type of drawing things, platforms that are like Rev and all those different things. I love SketchUp. I use Sketch. I actually, I was using SketchUp just the other day. Just uh, I'm drawing a concept for buildings that are going to be done throughout the country. So one of the tasks that I was put to was the exterior, the interior. They're going to have a garden in it. So every little thing. And when it comes to it, it's just so much fun. <laughs> it does. You're getting so excited. Oh yeah, absolutely. So a um, little story is that we, that all my staff are senior designers and we all worked in AutoCAD. Mm. And about four years ago, we, um, we worked in a program called AutoCAD Architecture. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it does have a 3D capability. So it does. Right. we started looking into what do we need to do to learn how to do AutoCAD Architecture better then we know because we don't know. Start looking into classes. And through a series of um, multiple, multiple uh, experts that we talked to, including Autodesk that owns both AutoCAD and Revit, they convinced us that we really needed to go to Revit. Hmm. So you have, there were three designers at the time that all had 15 to 30 years experience that had to shift out of AutoCAD into Revit, but it's the very best thing we could ever do because Revit is three-dimensional like SketchUp is. And it's, it's modeling. And it's once you, once you get to play there, 
you don't ever want to go back to line work. You're like, <laughs> I don't even know how to do it anymore. I don't think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, Revit is, is just incredible. And the fact that it can, you can do walkthroughs and all these different things. Phenomenal. Yeah. So, you know, I was reading in your bio, you and your husband created consulting, I guess, firm, right? For the, prof- the medical profession, right? Yes. Why? Why did you guys go in that direction? What was the, the attraction there? For you? Okay. So the little path, you know, you, I, I said, it's a business path. It's an emotional path. It's a mission path. All of those things kind of merge together. Um, so my husband and I were doing design build. So his background is architectural in engineering and construction mm. and development and things of that sort. And he, uh, we met at a job together. Uh, I was doing contract work for a company he worked for. And then he decided I was working for myself and he decided, Hey, I want to go work for myself too. Mm. So we started down this path doing design build together. And as a we were doing anything that came along, all word of mouth, whatever happened, but it was him and I, we were the business. Nice. Okay. So that's where the business mode kind of comes in. But our client was Life University, uh, which is the largest, now the largest chiropractic school or one of the largest chiropractic schools. But at the time it was 2003 and life had gone through a really hard time. They were between presidents. They almost lost their accreditation. And I was brought in to help reduce the facility space that had a lot of facility background, large jobs were kind of my thing. Then Dr. Reedman came on board and he said, what can we do to the university to help elevate it by revamping the physical space? Mm. So he understood the connection between elevating the profession and, and the connection between your environment for any, for any company, for any person. So we got involved in that and started doing projects and design build and um, all over campus. And we built the chiropractic classes, the chiropractic clinics, and really began to learn the needs of the chiropractor and Mm. really, really began to just understand it all. The other thing that happened is because we were doing so much work at Life University, we were there probably 80% of our time, we began to be immersed in the understanding of the chiropractic profession from the inside, the business of chiropractic, the struggles that chiropractors have Mm. to become respected. Respected, hmm, yucky looking spaces. What can we do to help you? (laughs) Fix that. (laughs) And that kind of came together. So we were actually, I never, we never intended to do it as a business, but in 2010, Life University asked us to start teaching classes, which we did because we were there so much. We knew everyone. We, um, We just gave these classes. We created these classes. And out of the classes, we started getting mostly students to say, can you help us? Hmm. And so um, the first chiropractic office that I did was actually a student that was opening his office around the corner from me that was that was an intern for my chiropractor. So my chiropractor said, why don't you go help him? And so I did. So that's where we started 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. The business model so let me kind of go backward from a personal standpoint. We were already chiropractic patients and we're already very, not just chiropractic, but all holistic health. Without getting into a really long story, my dad that I talked about, that was my hero, he actually died of complications from chemotherapy at 51 years old. Oh, so to hear that. So out of that became this kind of little plug where what else could we have done, you know, from more of a, it's not anti-medical. I'm not an anti-medical model, but I'm like, what else? So I started to personally explore and I was in the, in my twenties, more holistic health. When my daughter was two years old, 30 years ago, she had chronic tonsillitis. And that's when I discovered chiropractic. Um, Her, her babysitter's roommate was a chiropractor student at Life University in her final Order and convinced me to bring Lauren in instead of having her tonsils out mm. at two years. Old. So I said, "Okay, I'll try it." And she still has her tonsils. Oh, wow! And her, my my grandkids are all under chiropractic care. So that kind of started the chiropractic path. So this holistic and chiropractic and all of that was a personal part of me. Now we're at Life University. We're immersed in it. We started teaching classes. Let me add the business piece to it because we also got a hold of a book called The E-Myth, Entrepreneurial Myth. Great book. 
and began to realize that we were we were technicians, highly qualified technicians that had an entrepreneurial seizure. Mm. We began to realize we didn't have a business. And I heard someone say this on one of your podcasts. We didn't have a business. We just owned our job and we needed to rethink some things. So all of those things kind of came together and we began to say, what could we do to help this profession we believe in, elevate them, have them be more respected as the go-to or, you know, they, they say that only 8% of the population even go to chiropractors because they don't know, they don't understand. I know they're trying to com- communicate out there. But if you walk in a chiropractic office and it looks like garbage, you're not going to respect who they are. And that was what we saw. In fact, when we first started doing this, and we tell our, our clients to go find images of spaces that they like. And I would tell them, you're not going to find any. If you Google chiropractic, you're not going to find any. This was 10, 12 years ago. Mm. Now we can find them. Now, So we hope that we've been a piece of helping to elevate. I'd love to say we touched every single one of them, but we didn't. But I hope that we have helped elevate. So the goal was to elevate the holistic profession. Specifically, we were focused on chiropractic, but we do everything beyond that too. We do acupuncture, massage therapists. We do some medi spas. We do things that have to do with more of that in, very integrated medicine, gyms, things that people are making a choice to be there, and people and and patients becoming responsible for their health and making a choice. So they need to feel like you know they're they can trust where they're going. That's huge. Here in Long Island, I'm in New York, Long Island. Many chiropractic offices are attached to their home. So they don't necessarily have a separate office. It's really basically they converted their their ground floor or their garage into a little waiting room with just chairs, a wall, and a little window, a little desk. And then in the back room is your chiropractor. And it does not look inviting at all. It doesn't feel holistic. And I've been to a bunch of them. Some of them were my clients. And they were my martial arts clients, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys was amazing. I mean, super. He had one of those, you know, the tables that move. Um, it It was, he was just so good. And then he went through a bad divorce and that like changed things for him. But then the other thing is that he started doing is that he started bringing people, busing people who had car accidents from bad neighborhoods into his neighborhood. And then I think he got in trouble for doing that because he was soliciting in a, in a negative way. But he was so gifted. And had he had the right focus, I don't think he would have ever gone in that direction, right, where he got into trouble. You know, all he was doing was trying to help people, right? who were in, in legitimate car accidents. But I think it's the way he did it that, that kind of hurt him. When we think about a chiropractor or a doctor, sometimes you'll even see dentists, they're running out of there. You see like a nice home and all of a sudden in the yard, they'll say dentist. Instead of taking that plunge and believing in themselves even more and saying, let me do this as a profession so I can separate my home from my business because I, I to me I think that's an important aspect you know at running a martial arts school you know a lot of people say oh, I would love to be able to live above my martial arts school I'm like no not me I want that to be separate I mean I have a large facility I have a 10,000 square foot facility and you know I it, it's away from my home I don't want to live in it right yeah I want to be able to step away from it and do other things as well yeah so what are your thoughts on 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 creating that environment that is totally separate from your home environment, which should be a totally different feel anyhow, right? Well, it's interesting that you said that because I guess they're getting business licenses to do this in their home, right? So they are they are legit. Okay. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to something. So I I talked to some people that do psychiatry and stuff and psychology. And they have some home-based offices too. Oh yeah, plenty. So yep. I think it, you know, I mean, there's only so far you can grow if you only have one room and a, a waiting and it's only going to be you. And so 
you know, that's part of a business model. Mm -hmm. But if that is your choice and that's what you're going to do, you can still be very intentional about what the space looks like. Right. And what the absolute all of those things, what the from the I mean, you have some control over the land before they get there, you know, the yard before they arrive. How do they arrive? What do they do? And I but I do think, you know, if what you just said, the whole their space. Okay, let me let me see if I can say it this way. Their space is going to emulate who they are as a business owner. Mm -hmm. The ones that there might be people out there that are just doing that and they're happy and they're fine. But if they're in that situation and they're wanting to grow and wanting to be better and wanting to have something else or wanting to go beyond or have any kind of other larger vision than that, then their environment could potentially be impeding them is what we've been talking about. So first, does it is it attractive for the person to walk into? And secondly, do you really you have to look at the business model? Do you really want it to be connected to your life that way and connected to your home? And can you go out and do another office? And, you know, it's a it's a financial choice, but it's going to impact the image of the people that come to you. You know, it's going to impact every person. Let me give you let me give you a good example. Sure. Let me give you the example I use in my classes. How about that? I love it. Um, so. Think about the, my goal is not to tell you how to design your space. My goal is to have you be very, very aware that your space impacts you and Mm -hmm. your decisions and it impacts your clients and their decisions. Um, It is part of your branding. It's part of your marketing. So you think about it's the, I talk about, it's like the package around your cereal box. It's, you know, when you go up and down the aisles and you're going to buy us a box of cereal, those boxes have been designed to attract you as as the ideal, um, I want to say ideal patient, but the cereal owner, you know, the person that eats the cereal. <laughs> you that the ideal cereal, consumer. Right? Ideal consumer. Okay. Right. So those packages, and they can change the packaging and uh, and that whole cereal appeals to a whole different mm-hmm. uh, consumer group, right? Right. Based on color and everything. Yeah. And there's been lots of studies on you know, where they just shift the packaging and how much the buying goes up and Mm. stuff. So that's what your office is. Your office is like the package. You're the product, you're in the pro you're the, you're the practitioner, your office, your, your, um, your staff, all of those people are part of your product, but that office is your package. So are you attracting the right patients to your office because of your package intentionally? So that's my goal is to be intentional. And we talk about, um, I'm going to use two examples, both of neither one of them say you have to be one or the other, but very, very intentional. Walmart very intentionally designs their space to support their brand, their tagline of the low price leader. Very intentional. You, It's bright lights. There's a lot of, it's very full. It's very busy. There's a lot of advertisement. There's signs of pricing and discounts and red light specials and all those type of things that just all of that matches with your expectations. When you walk in there is I'm going to get a deal. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get a lot of service. I shouldn't expect a lot of service, but I am going to get a deal. It feels a little bit, maybe like a garage sale. So I'm going to dig through and find the deal. Okay. That's the client that buys there. And that's why they make a lot of money. You follow what I'm saying? Because it matches a deal. Matches well. I'm just. Yeah, it matches the expectations of of the consumers that go into Walmart. You t- go all the way to the other end, and let's look at a high end uh, designer store. Dove Goodman. Okay, very very spread out. The merchandise is very centered. If you think about it, or like the jewelry department, let's talk about. You know, the the they'll have one or two pieces in a big case. They won't crowd it all up. Lots of real estate, lots of space. The lighting is very specific. The colors, the colors tend to be more muted and neutral where the lower economic is more bright. You know, there's just colors, lighting, all of those things come into play to support the buying experience of what they're trying to sell and to support and become the package of what that is. And that's what our do- we want our doctors to do. They want to be intentional Think very clearly about who is my ideal patient 
and how do I need to show up for them to for the for congruency between what I'm trying to promote to them and what their expectations are. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean that that's huge. When, when you you think about and you talked about both ends of the spectrum, right? One where you get your bargain shopper, and the other one where they want quality and and they don't care about getting that deal. They want to make sure that they're being treated right or the way they want to be treated right. And and so when you take it to two you know ends of the spectrum, here's another uh, chiropractor that I know. He's got almost thirty locations. Okay, very well off. And the other guy who instead of figuring out how to, in a way, the other guy cloned himself, right? Because he created these different locations. The other guy was trying to bust people in and he got into trouble for doing that, right? And the other guy who said, I have a business model, I plan this, is, is, is having success with way almost close to 30 by now. And he doesn't work every single day and so it, it's it's the business model the intention that you were talking about that's going to separate someone because guess what they both went to chiropractic school they both knew how to help somebody to adjust somebody to help that person but it was their thinking their actions that separate separates them and it's the same actions that separates the people who go into a Walmart and who go into a high-end store. And either one, they're going to buy something. And, and plenty of times, you know, I drive by a Walmart. There's one by my house. It's always, always busy. I can go at 7 in the morning. I'm driving by 7 in the morning. They open at, I think, 7. And a lot is packed. I think they close at 11. I drive by like 10 o'clock at night. Their lot is packed. It's like, wow. So it's not like they don't understand their business model. No. No. They totally get the business model. They understand it probably better than anyone else out there, right? Yes. And, and, and the point of the design side that I was talking about is that is intentionally designed that way. If they change their design, it would be incongruent with what they're promoting and what they're trying to do. So, yeah, very much so. So let me take you to another place and let's go to a Target. Okay. Big difference. So you go to a Target, you go to a Target, but it's still not the designer store either. Do you know what I'm saying? So they found another place to be in there. In the middle. So, and, and. We were talking about, you were talking about your designer friend who wouldn't even talk about money before. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that high, high end design store where people are, are not in a negative way, but they, their image and their ego wants that high, high dollar thing. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's what they appeal to. But there's a very small percentage of people that shop there. You know what I'm saying? So that's where you get into, you have to look at your whole business model. Who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to offer? You know, the the franchising of a chiropractic office is trying to fit somewhere in there with the higher volume typically and the whole, I want to be very respectful, but you know, that whole image. But most franchises have some kind of image package that they've created so that it's when you walk into this one, you're going to see it again you know, if you go across town or wherever you go. So that's, it's very intentional. Very in, The word intentional just keeps coming up over and over. Being without a doubt, without a doubt. And intentional about it and being aware. So it's the idea that, um, you know, just the, the biggest thing to me is just our, my goal is to get awareness out there and then people can make decisions based on where they are in the process. But just being aware that this is an important piece of your business plan yeah. is your environment. You know, it's a, it's a, it's very interesting. I I've had my tire changed several times, right? And I go to a place that's local. It may it may be around you too. It's Mavis Tire. I'll, I'll gladly plug them. And they are super professional, right? You walk in, it's 
they got their counter. It's not the cleanest looking place, but their business is like, we're going to take care of you and we're not going to give it to you in two minutes. It's going to take a couple of hours, but you're going to get the service that you want. You're not going to have a problem with them. And if something ever goes wrong, they will take care of it. Now, on the side, yeah, they have tires, you know, the display. Maybe they have free coffee. I don't know. I, I didn't have their coffee. But <laughs> it's not like you can go there and sit down and relax and lounge because I always dropped it off because I'm actually, it's, it's close enough to my business that I, if I need a new tire or four new tires, I just drop it off. I walk two blocks and, and I'm, I'm at my business and then I can pick it up when it's ready. And I've been to other ones, and their design is exactly the same. And it's that keeping it the same, right? So people walk into a place, it's like a McDonald's, right? Most McDonald's you walk into, I can't even recall the last time I've ever walked into a McDonald's. But when I was a kid, I used to go to McDonald's. And no matter where I went in the country, it was like, I know this place, right? Same thing with Target, right? When you walk to a Target, when you walk into a Walmart, when you walk into a Macy's, it's very, very similar. Except the one in Herald Square. That's a that's a monster, <laughs> right? That one's gorgeous. And a lot of people, they don't know. They have a, a, a city underneath. If you ever get the chance to go to the... I've been. It's amazing. And it's they have cafes. And I used to go ahead. All these different things. And it's that's amazing, yes. In the basement of... And it's like, wow, it is. It's it is. It's not your it's not your typical Macy's. No, no it's an experience. It's an experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they've captured that. Right. But unfortunately, a lot of the Macy's in other areas have closed now. Why? Because they didn't go with the time. Right? Mm-hmm. They didn't follow the trends. So even even though as successful as McDonald's has been, they're still following the trends. If you'll notice, they're like, now they're creating restaurants. They're creating different things to try to, depends on the neighborhood. So they are changing their trends of design. Because as a designer, isn't that something that we can't design like 1970s anymore? No, 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 (laughs) definitely. You'll look like you're, you haven't changed your mentality. You haven't grown with the profession. So no. That's one of the big things that we see is that, is it dated? Is it, so we have like five things we, we have, in fact, um, I have a five point designer checklist that I created just for that practitioner. That's like, you know what, how am I doing here? Cause most of the time the practitioner doesn't really see it. Mm. They don't, you know, you live in an environment for a while and you don't even see it anymore at all. You get so used to it. Right. So um, this five-point designer checklist, the first thing we say is find somebody else to come walk through the space with you that you trust, that has the opinion and the value that you respect, maybe even a a trusted patient that would actually be honest with you. Customer, right? Customer, exactly. Whatever. Just what does this feel like? Get their impression. Kind of like the idea of a secret shopper, only you're right there with them Mm -hmm. and you're going through it. And then- Notepad to take exactly. notes. Notepad and get there. You know, tell them what is the first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, then another thing is: is it clean and cl- or is it cluttered? Mm-hmm. Is it cluttered? Right. So when something is very cluttered, our mind doesn't look at anything, and our mind it changes the way our mind perception starts to shut down, etc. Where you're very purposeful and have one or two things. I mean, uh, doctors' offices that have you know, 17 different brochures up across the front of their desk for the new thing of the week. Nobody's looking at any of it. So it's the one being intentional. So clean, um, is it cluttered? Is it clean? Are your bathrooms clean? Do the grouts need a good, good bleaching, whatever, something. So that, so that one, the clean, then we go into, is it clean versus is it worn out? Do you have a chiropractic table that has duct tape on it? Oh, you gosh. have a chair, chair <laughs> get on that lobby, if your chair in your front lobby that's got rips in it, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a lot of damage on the corners of your wall that you just need a good paint job? Or does it need to be repainted because it's worn out? Is it worn? Mm-hmm. And it need, needs to be replaced. And then the next one is, is it dated? We were talking about that. So 
Unfortunately, when you buy really, really high quality products, sometimes it doesn't wear out before it dates. So everything's going to date in seven to 10 years. It, it, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Some things you may push to 12, but there's a point where it will date. The more trendy your office is, the faster it's going to date. Like the barn wood is starting to go out. You know what I'm saying? It's going to fade. It's fading. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the big thing to do two years ago. So those types of things and those types of, of understanding of what the trends are dating, because your clothes date, your hairstyles date, so does your office. Your office paint, colors, finishes, you know, you're in the design profession. You've right. been enough in it to know what I'm talking about. So you've got to you've got to change those things. Um, we tell startup doc- doctors that we work with. It's more important to buy things that that look stylish, like your front desk chairs, than it is to buy something that's going to be to last a long time. It's not stylish. So you can still buy. I tell doctors this. I said you can still buy on chairbiz.com um, very dated pieces of furniture hmm. and still buy them today. So just being very aware that your what you're buying is not dated. And if you do buy something that's a low quality, you just got to put your money into it to replace it. Put plan on replacing it. So buy something from Ikea and replace it in a year just to get you going and open. So that's. I like what you said. Replace it in a year. Yes, because Ikea is not going to last. It's not going to last. It's It's not going to last. It's not going to last. And and you know what? You only got $100 to spend on a chair. Don't go buy a dated one. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Buy one that's stylish. And if it's not of the quality you need it to be, then plan to replace it. Yeah. Or just invest a little bit more and spend 150 on a chair. But, you know, the thing that... And then the last thing I want to just say there, the fifth thing was lighting. Mm. You already talked about lighting, so I don't need yeah. to say anymore. So That sets the mood, doesn't it? It does. It totally changes the environment, what you can do with lighting. Because you don't want the same lighting that Walmart uses in a chiropractic office, do you? <laughs> no. So your typical uh, startup chiropractor that doesn't open in his home. I mean, you are in New York City, so maybe that's different. But um, the typical startup chiropractor would open in a retail strip center. In your typical uh, spaces around the United States not counting New York City. Um, they open a retail strip center and your typical retail strip center has got two by four light, uh, two by four ceiling tile with two by four lights across the whole wash of space. And that works for your retail strip center because you. you're just going to have racks and things and be able to move within it. But it doesn't create the environment, the change of lighting environment, that change of lighting can do from space to space. But you can still change that you can make it soft light you can bring in accent lighting you can you know soften it up a little bit so it's more inviting right even yes. some even wall sconces i mean my gosh yes those little things and you know you walk when you walk through the mall you will see the ones that are want to affect change because they've changed the the space very much so. even though it's it's going to cost some dough no doubt, but it's an investment in the future, right? So that, that, I, I think that's a critical aspect. So let, let me ask you, you're, you're coaching people on the space. If we just kept our walls white and brought $100 chairs and maybe we changed them every year, and maybe we put like two pictures up, is that a good plan for me to be able to grow my business? Or is bringing someone like yourself who is going to help me make it more inviting? Is it going to bring more, me, more clients, people that are going to want to refer me instead of a, a place where it's like, oh, it's cold in there. It's not, it doesn't feel right. You know? What's going to be better for me? Well, you know, I'm going to say you hire a professional to help you because if you don't do it. You're, yeah, yeah. you're going to lose out. Um, but at the same time, I say that. You know, hiring a, it's, it's that place in your business where when do you start to hire people to help you do what you shouldn't be doing yourself? Like my friend who's got almost 30 places. He doesn't take care of them. He's got no. a professional, you know, who takes care of it. Right. 
not only that, but also he's got live plants there. He doesn't go and water all his plants, yeah. right? So even even the, the plants, the lighting, all these different things, if you're having a professional space, sure, if you have two plants, yeah, your receptionist can water them, right? But if you have a lavish-looking place where it's rich and it's deep, you may want to hire someone to come and take care of your plants, right? Exactly. Well, it's it, it, anything that you do, think about in business, it's like, when do you... When do you quit doing the books and hire a bookkeeper? You know, when do you quit doing, um, think of the things that you do in business that it's, you know, you're a practitioner and, you know, you're a teacher. I mean, your gifting is teaching and whatever your gifting is. What are the other things around you that you're trying to do that is not really in your genius zone? It's not really your gifting. And those theoretically are the things that you need to start hiring out for. Now, when you're on a budget, though, when you're starting out and you're really tight, can you hire a professional, high-end professional from New York City to come in and says, you ask them price and they say, don't even talk to me. No, <laughs> no, that's not that's the not level the that you're looking for. You. for. Yeah. Exactly. From a standpoint of, once again, understanding that design, architectural interior design, and you would understand this being around it. It's that three-dimensional development of the space, the architectural part of it, the permit part of it, those parts of it mixed with the understanding of the environment that you're trying to create are part of the you know, startup cost for most people. Even if you, if you find a space, you need to build it out. You're going to need someone to help you do the plans and the permits and the things that meet the code and do all of those type of things. So that would be, I guess that's kind of the architecture, but to mix it over and to spend a little bit more and make sure that the design is happening is a choice that we would hope you would make. <laughs> I guess I would say that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Thinking about design concepts, all that, if that's not your wheelhouse, right? And a lot of, sometimes you walk into somebody's office and there's like a, a plant dying in the corner, right? <laughs> Or, or, you know, they have all these, maybe they put up their first dollar bill and they have a, a board of all the dollar bills that people gave them, like wishing them well, you know, and it's like, this is a professional and I, I want to thank you for those dollar bills, but can you make them hundred dollar bills <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'll put them in my pocket instead. But w- when we think about concepts, design, all these things, if it is not your wheelhouse, then yeah, and if you cannot afford a high-end designer, talk talk to me about how important it is to just get somebody. Like, and you talked about getting a fresh pair of eyes. One of the things I do with my martial arts school is I walk into it. I'm like, what do I like? What do I like? And my place, it's not every seven years. People who know me know every three to four years something else is going to change because I'm always changing it. The color of the paint, the walls. Right now, you walk into, you like, is this a martial arts school? No, it doesn't look like it. You walk in, it's comfortable. I got couches. I got TVs. I got things. So it does not look like a martial arts school. Uh, a school. It looks like, and somebody said to me, this is like home. I have, you know, I have different lighting to, to affect. I have different points. But even now, the other day, I was thinking, oh, I got a different lighting over here, right? And I got molding up. It's not. It's not just a blank wall because that's boring, right? And most martial arts schools in the, around the country, you walk in, it's four walls and a mat, maybe some bags. <laughs> not my place, right? My place has, I would say, character. Right? So for a chiropractic office, a dentist's office, uh, a spa, and, and some of the spas are, are re- looking really sharp. The ones that I've walked into are looking phenomenal because they know that people are not going there to look at a white wall. They're going there for that comfort, right? Mm-hmm. So if a spa can do it, shouldn't you feel that same comfort when you're going to go to the dentist? You should. Yeah, you should feel. And and you asked me a question that the, the part of design that a lot of people think about is a gifting. Mm. And it is that ability, it's an artistic gifting to understand composition and, and color and things that go together. It, it, it's very hard to teach that. If you don't have that, you have to start with that. Just like you have to start with some passion to be a, a coach that you're talking about. As you're, so as I said that, 
if you're just looking for that place where how can I refresh my space and I don't really need to change the flow. I don't need to change the function. I don't need to change. I don't need to set whole set of architectural drawings to get this thing built. Mm. You know, we, especially if you're a startup, find somebody that's a good friend that you respect the way their house looks and get them to give you some opinions and buy them lunch or something. Find someone that has that gift and see if you can do it. You know, we have we have chiropractors and doctors. I can think of a few of them that they themselves have the gift. Mm. You know, they're they're a couple of them male, couple of them female that love design. They just love it. And so they, you know, in their first practices, they did it all themselves. We, We met them on their second practice where they then said, this is kind of my vision. And they needed someone else to pull all those pieces together. But if you've got the gifting, you know, or you don't have the gifting, that's what you know. Do you have that gifting or do you not? And if you don't have the gifting to pull that together, find someone to help you pull it together from the decorator standpoint. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about, you know, the colors on the wall, the art on the wall, the portion of how things all go together, those type of things would be my suggestion. Now, once again, the we have a lot of resources on our website to kind of talk about these things, like what arts, you know, look at what your art is, look at what your, what the impression and how high you hang your art and what proportions you put your art in, trying to educate what that's about, different things about furniture, furniture styles and color. And, you know, there's, but if you don't know it, you make a choice. Am I going to go learn it and apply it? Or I'm going to go find someone to help me. And one of the things that the reality is, is that once you learn it and apply it, let's say you can learn and you do apply it to your office, you're only going to mess with it every seven to 10 years. So do you really want to spend the energy learn it? So, you know, it's a, it's a process. We want you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we spend a lot of time talking about just understanding the process of opening an office because it is an event. Mm-hmm. Once it's over, you don't have to think about it again. Right. But there's a lot of parts, you know, there's a lot of parts and pieces to that thing. Oh, yeah. We, we had, um, when I worked in, in Manhattan, we had a, just a department just for materials, another department for coloring, and all the different samples that we had, flooring, lighting, you know, everything. And it was like, literally, you walk in, it was like a library. It is a library, yeah. A larger firm, yes. Yeah, and that, that's that's why I worked, and, and it was incredible because when you're designing something, I'm like I have an idea. Oh, let me go to the library. Let me see what colors make sense and all those kind of things, and and the fabrics and 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 you know the stones and all the different. Is it going to be marble? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And then, so w- when we talk even about surfaces, right? How important are surfaces even when you're designing a space, right? Is it because it's the flooring? What kind of flooring are you having? Uh, you know, what kind of, are you having tile? Are you having, you know, so it's all these different aspects that, that you need a professional. You need to ca- call Carolyn. That's it. That's it. That's it. Everybody listening, please call my new friend, my good new friend, Carolyn. And she definitely, but here's the thing, right? You, you help people across everywhere, right? Yeah, we do it all virtually. It's amazing. Way before COVID. Yeah. So we stuck because when we created this business model, we knew that there was enough, not enough audience in the chiropractic and holistic health in Atlanta to serve them locally. So we knew that we needed to create a virtual model. And so we did. 2012, we started doing this virtually. Beautiful. Beautiful. A whole virtual model. So anybody in Long Island who has a chiropractic office and you need some help? out to my friend i know we've i'll have to look it up i should have done that before we started but i know we've done a few chiropractors well i know we've done chiropractors in the whole new york metropolitan area but i specifically long island yes oh nice nice yes but but here's the thing right and even if you have made that decision to have your practice out of your home oh yes you can still get the help you know to make it separate so that you have to create a separate entity, even though you live on the other side of, of your home, that entity should be totally different. Even the entrance way, right? It should not look like it's just a side door. 
it should look like I'm stepping into a professional space, not I'm stepping into somebody's side door to their home. So you talked about the landscaping, you talked about everything. I'm talking about the entrance. When you walk in, how are they greeted? So it's it's all this different professionalism that you can still have, even if you have it out of your home. You can still have it, even if you have it out of your home. Yes. And any last advice? How about somebody who, who's interested in interior design? What, what, what advice would you give them? Someone that's interested in the profession of interior design? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's a whole nother question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I I have had the opportunity of had several students that were considering going to to design school and spent time talking to them. And we talked a little bit about part of it is just an innate you. It's an innate gifting Mm. to be able to decorate. The decorating part is you can't learn that. I don't know. So when you go to design school, what happens is they take this gifting and they start to help you figure out how you do what you do. They're not teaching you how to do it. They're teaching you why it works so that you so there's principles of design like balance and and form and things that and then you begin to expand beyond that. You begin to understand how intentional you can be when you create things. It's also very, very much psychology. To be, you have to um, you have to really be able to dig into what people need and what they want and what the functions are happening and like you're talking about all the different kinds of flooring. Mm. That's dictated by what's going to happen in the space and what needs to happen in the space. You know, it's all the choices that you make. So I mean, I'm I believe in a four year design program continuing on. I'm a what they passed an exam called NCIDQ, which gives me the opportunity to be licensed and able to stamp drawings in different states and things of that sort. So that's the path that I took that I recommend if someone wants to get into commercial design. And then, of course, there's residential design, which gets much more into the baths and the kitchens. And that's a whole profession in itself, just to design kitchens. Oh, yeah. You know, or just to design baths. So... So check it. Yeah, check it out. Or if, any, if anyone's really interested in design, they're welcome to call me and I will. Oh, that's so sweet. That's cool. Happy to give them, yeah, I'd be happy to promote the profession. I worked for um, a woman and we designed somebody's home mm-hmm. and it was a very high end client. And I was there when she paid for the home with one check. There was no, no nothing. She's just like, I want that house. Here's my check. You know, a couple of million easy and then she turns around to the person i was working with and she goes i just don't even want to bring my own toothbrush all i want to do is bring up my my clothing i want everything taken care of everything from utensils to the bath towels to the bath mat to the tv to everything i want to walk into my home with just my suitcase my clothes oh wow and can I tell you, that was a fun project. I bet it was. I bet it was. That was a, it took a couple of months because it was like, obviously, we had to show her a thousand different samples. But once she, she, she actually cried when she walked in. Oh, wow. She cried. She was like, I cannot believe this is my home. And, you know, but that was, that was a, an incredible, incredible journey that you know, she helped us go on because she gave us the freedom. She said what she wanted, but she gave us the freedom to go ahead and do whatever we want. So it was it was pretty cool. That's that. I will say that's pretty rare in the design profession. Yeah, that extreme. That was the only time I ever did that. And 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 as you say all of this, and I'm and I'm really glad you're saying it because that is a very big part of the interior design profession is the high end residential. That's where that's where the names get made, and that's where the especially if you, New York City lights and all that. Every day interior designer that works in the commercial field is not that high-end designer. Mm. They're very practical. They're very purposeful. They're very on point. It's not about, um, it's really not about luxury at all. And that's one of the harder things to get people to understand you need to hire a designer because they think it's a luxury. Exactly. In commercial, it's not a luxury. 
it's like hiring a really good CPA that will help you prevent you from getting ta- paying taxes. That's what it's like. You can hire, you can go to H&R Block at the end of the year and just do whatever they say, or you can hire up front someone to help you process through systematically what you need to do. Yeah. That's what hiring a commercial designer is. It's like hiring a really good website designer that they're going to get the SEO right the first time. That's right. right. You know, it's not the it's not the website in the box. Not at all. Not at all. So that's where it's not really it's really a business decision as opposed to a luxury in residential design. It's more of a luxury. It is. It is. It is. But as soon as you cross over into commercial, it becomes a business expense and there's got to be a return on investment. We see a 10 to 20 percent increase in our clients revenue after they've worked with us. Nice. So it's a return on investment. If you don't get a return on investment, then it sh- you shouldn't do it. It's business. It's a business decision. Let's keep business, business, right? Personal, personal. Very much so. And the residential design side is is a is a whole different dream. It's a what you were just talking about, where you can really make this powerful impact in a human being's life. Mm-hmm. And and yet we do that in we do that in business too. In the small and and I'll just share this because I know we're trying to wrap up, but yeah. one of the loves that happened for me is that I was used to really big, large, complicated commercial projects that would take a year to get done. Some of those ones you were talking about oh, yeah. and to switch over into doing these um, sole practitioners that our whole project time would be a couple of weeks to six weeks long, depending on what we were doing for them. And then the construction, et cetera, was a whole different mentality. And it really was more personal because it's their personal business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so it, it t- was able to touch a little bit of that. I made a difference in a human being's life and I made a difference in a business. That's got to bring so much joy to you, right? It does. It does. And our designers feel the same way. They love working for the, it's that nice crossover. So Carolyn, I got to tell you, I I had such a great conversation. I am filled with joy speaking with you. (laughs) And, And I hope that we will continue this conversation over and over again, obviously with different topics. But I, I love the fact that you are intentionally, and there we go with that word, right? Helping people to not only promote their business, but to help promote the health that the design truly does bring. Because, you know, you go to a chiropractor or you go to any holistic doctor because this, you don't go there because you're going there to chat with them. You're going there because there's something that either you need to maintain or you need to get fixed, right? Yeah. So you go there with, with the hopes of, of that relief and, and, and walking into an environment that's going to help with that relief. I think that's huge. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You have an amazing and blessed day. You too, sir. Absolutely. Now, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Cool. Thank you. All right. Enjoy. We'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large.